This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you very much for being here. Great to have you on board today, as always. Phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. So uh, as I was on the uh, syndicated uh, show last night from 6 to 9 Eastern, uh, Buck Sexton with America Now. Uh, we had some breaking news in the form of oral arguments uh, at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Three judges listening to arguments both from the states that are suing the Trump administration and from the DOJ lawyer representing the Trump administration on this one. Um, and it is, it is fascinating to see this play out because... You got first of all, you got Trump, as I understand it, reading off today, uh, reading off the specific immigration law that uh, he thinks fall means it falls under his authority. Um, he said that the that he's issued this for the security of our nation, for the security of our citizens, so that people coming in can't do us harm. So Trump read out from parts of that federal outline. He said it was written clearly and beautifully. Uh, so, yeah, um, he says the courts are also so political. Here, play that uh, clip, Shimon. Donald Trump defends travel ban while addressing law enforcement leaders. Let's hear it. When you read something so perfectly written and so clear to anybody, and then you have lawyers and you watched, I watched last night in amazement, and I heard things that I couldn't believe, things that really had nothing to do with what I just read. And I don't ever want to call a court biased, so I won't call it biased. And we haven't had a decision yet. But courts seem to be so political. And it would be so great for our justice system if they would be able to read a statement and do what's right. And that has to do with the security of our country, which is so important. Uh, this is Trump engaging in preterizio, right? I, I could talk about how my opponent is a, a horrible drunkard and a terrible human being, but I won't do that, right? Trump's saying, well, I don't, I don't want to say the courts are biased, but it seems pretty biased to me. I'm not even sure that's preterizio. I think that's a, that's a Trump version of it where you say you're not going to say it, and then you just straight up, <clears throat> straight up do say it, which I think is a, a fair way to describe what happened here. So, you know, Trump is saying, look, this is as a matter of law, I'm right. They've already made some adjustments to this. You probably have already read or, or seen that those who are Iraqi interpreters, for example, will not be 
affected by this ban and, and they have made some adjustments to it. And the sweeping order from this federal judge, based on the arguments that this is Judge Robart, right? So you got Judge Robart out in Washington State, who is one of a number of judges who has ruled against the administration on the executive order. But he's the only one that ruled against the entirety of the executive order, at least for now. The way this works is they have a temporary restraining order. The, this appeals court is going to look at it to see what should happen while they prepare for a full judicial review. So is the ban in effect until they decide overall whether the ban should be in effect? That's more or less what's being decided right now. That's what's happening. That's what's going on. And as a matter of law, we've had Andy McCarthy on. We've had others on to address this as well. It's pretty straightforward. Um, The president, as commander in chief, has the authority to exclude uh, whatever illegal aliens he or she wants to. And that's it. This is a situation where the the judges that are looking at this, and now I don't know what they're going to, I don't know what they're going to say. I'm expecting it'll be that the ban is revoked until there's a full, uh, either a full appeals court on bank review, or it goes to the or the Supreme Court decides to take this up. But I'm I'm expecting that the Ninth Circuit, uh, the three judges of the Ninth Circuit that had this phone call last night. Uh, that they will rule against this. I could be wrong. But based on their questions, too, it seems that they really do believe. And this is a difference uh, in judicial philosophy that has infected courtrooms across the country and and really has changed the way. And this goes all the way up to the very top. You've got people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and others, Sotomayor and Kagan, who buy into this. The Constitution is living or it needs to be an updated document based upon the the trends of the day, which is to say that the con- <clears throat> which is to say the Constitution is not really a document. It's whatever you say it is. And when you see the questions that were asked, or you hear the questions, I should say, because it was just an audio, it was a phone call of the oral arguments last night. Um, when you hear the way that they're positioning themselves, it seems as though the judges think it's their position to rule on whether this is a good idea or not. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You will recall from John Roberts's Obamacare decision, for example, uh, that he said that it's not the rule; it's not the role of the Supreme Court to save individuals, uh, to save the American people from the poor decisions made by their legislatures on their behalf. That's not what the Supreme Court's supposed to do. It's just supposed to decide on the constitutionality of an issue, and that is not the way that I think these federal judges are going to approach this. They're looking at this from the perspective of what is, um, what is a good policy. Um, and also, they're taking into account not what the executive order says or does alone. They're also looking at, or they've been asking questions about whether this is a, a means of trying to achieve a Muslim ban without calling it a Muslim ban. They're looking into the, <clears throat> excuse me, team. They're looking into the heart of the Trump administration on this and deciphering for themselves what the real intent here is. So I'm expecting that this will be a defeat for the Trump administration and that at least for the next few months or however long it takes while this is officially reviewed. um, But I do think that the Court of Appeals is going to keep the ban on the ban in place. I, I do believe that. 
And I think that what you're seeing here is that there will be no give. There will be no, um, no moderation, no middle ground taken when it comes to opposition to the Trump administration. That the left, whether we're talking about the bureaucracy or the media, they are completely and utterly uh, on board and all systems go to thwart the Trump agenda. And I have to say, there's a lot of a, a lot of equivalency that you'll see drawn by those on social media and elsewhere about this whole process. There are a lot of people who will uh, say, well, look, Republicans were opposing the Obama administration. Republicans were opposing that. So how is this any different? Uh, this is different because they don't care what the rules or the laws are. They don't care what their protests uh, what they jams up in a city and whether they are destructive and whether they're, you know, I, I don't like to use terms like hurting discourse because the, you know, the left uses that stuff all the time. But it is it is hard to have a civil conversation with the other side when they really do believe that you're a bad person now for, for being a Republican. I mean, if you're still a Republican who is not really part of a, a fifth column of opposition to the administration and to the Republican Congress that's working with them, the left thinks you're a bad person. It's not just they disagree with you on this. They they really believe that you have some uh, moral deficiency, some sort of a moral failing. And that is how that is how they view these things. And that is the context into which I think we have to uh, to put all of this. So we're going to find out what the final ruling here is. Isn't it astonishing to see how much outrage can be generated? I mean, when you read the or you can read the. Um, the objections or, or look at look at the transcript, listen to the call of what the states that are saying that they have received irreparable harm by this executive order because they're in such you know Washington state is in such desperate need of uh, of Yemeni refugees or Somali refugees in the next 90 days. Is that that's what we're supposed to believe um, the desire that so many seem to have to make this country a de facto uh, open border state is becoming increasingly clear. And this is a divide that I think this whole Trump debate is really unearthing for all of us to see. And that is, there are a, a plenty of Americans now that the progressive Democrat ideology is, you know, if you don't, um, rather the progressive Democrat ideology is saying that there's really no difference between the way that the U.S. government should view citizens and non-citizens. I know that seems like maybe an oversimplification, and but ultimately they don't view that there is any moral differentiation to be made there. Perhaps you have to sort of go along for reasons of keeping the system humming uh, and, and understand that there has to be differences between citizens and non-citizens. But the, the Democrats can get their full outrage machinery into gear because the U.S. government is not giving visitors or non-citizens enough rights here. Um, and to people who are paying taxes, who register for selective service, and who have to abide by the regulations and, in some cases, very onerous, and I would even say unjust federal laws that exist on the books in this country, and who do all of that, and then see that the Democrat Party really makes no di makes no distinction between America, you know, in its mind. I mean, I know they have to as a function of the day-to-day -day existence of this country, at least for now. But they don't think that they owe anything more to a citizen than somebody who just wants to come here from somewhere else. They don't think that there's any real uh, 
distinction in their obligations. There's a distinction for political reasons because they still need uh, U.S. citizens to vote for them and they still have to carry on this pretense that they will privilege citizens above non-citizens. But countries around the, around the rest of the world do that. I mean, if I show up in France and I say, you know, I want working papers, I want a job. I mean, that's obviously the EU and a whole bunch of other things attached as well. But they I mean, laugh in my face. And they wouldn't say, oh, yeah, sure. You, know, you, want, you want French citizenship? You, you want to come here? You claim that you're a, a persecuted Republican minority in America? Uh, maybe maybe we'll, we'll hook you up. That's not how it goes. But you're seeing this distinction laid bare, and it's very troubling that there's so much more attention paid to the plight of non-citizen visitors or refugees in this country than a lot of other issues that you'd think maybe all citizens could get on board and agree are worthy of real attention and and fixing, not just attention so that we can all sit around and talk about it, but addressing them in meaningful ways. Uh, I, I think this is w one of these circumstances where even if Trump loses, he wins because the, the Democrats and the media have shown that they will they will go to the mat for seven countries that do have extensive problems with jihadism and terrorism uh, for the rights of their citizens to travel here and in some cases to uh, immigrate here under refugee or asylum status, asylee status. So, yeah, that's what we see happening. That's what all this fuss is about. And it's become it's the biggest news story in the country right now. And it's going to continue to be, I think, until we get the decision from that appeals court, from the, the three members of the federal judiciary that are in that appeals court. And we're going to have to see. Uh, I think that Trump will lose in court. I think he will win in the court of public opinion on this one. Because what exactly is the, is the horrible and irreparable harm that we will suffer if the order that Trump put into effect continues? It'll slow down visa uh, visa visits or people with visas from visiting this country for a period of time. That's what we're also worried about. I have to say, I don't see it as as the dire circumstance that so many in the media do. But it's it, there's a lot of virtue signaling to get in here. There's a lot of social justice warrior stuff that is also going on. Um, this is called a Muslim ban, and on the left now, uh, in in a fascinating in a fascinating circumstance. The left still hates Christianity and denigrates it at every turn uh, and at every possible opportunity. And they, they are now all in on being the advocates for, uh, for Islam, including political Islam, including Islamism. Uh, they will make excuses for it. And, and they will even try to whitewash or explain away jihadism and you know, violent Islamic extremism. Uh, they... Anyway, discussions that we can get, we will be getting into much, much more. Uh, 888-900-3393 on those phones, team. We'll be back right after this break. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.
individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Quite an interesting exchange uh, last night on the Sanders versus Trump. Uh, the, I'm sorry, Sanders versus Cruz, not Sanders versus Trump. Sanders versus Cruz debate that CNN put together. Um, let's play. Let's play the clip. Sanders lectures small business owner. This is interesting. Play it. My question to you, Senator Sanders, is how do I grow my business? How do I employ more Americans without either raising the prices to my customers or lowering wages to my employees? Rhonda? La Rhonda. La Rhonda. Okay. Uh, you own five uh, salons. That's correct. And you employ close to 50 people. Just under. And what kind of health insurance do you provide to them? I don't. I, none. You provide no health insurance to them? Correct. Uh, let me be. Let me give you an answer you will not be happy with, uh, and that is, I think, uh, that for businesses that employ 50 people or more, given the nature of our dysfunctional healthcare system right now, where most people do get their health insurance through the places that they work, I'm sorry. I think that in America today, everybody should have health care. So my question is, how do I do that without raising my prices to my customers or lowering wages well, to my employees? You see, the difficulty is also is, and I'm not much of an expert Answer on Answer the question, Bernie Burns. Dressing in general, <laughs> and certainly in Fort Worth. I'm just one of small businesses. <laughs> I know. But my guess is one of the problems that we have is there may be somebody else in Fort Worth who is providing decent health insurance to their employees. And they are in an unfair competitive situation regarding you. You can compete and maybe charge lower prices, get business, while they, on the other hand, may be providing decent health insurance. I think I don't you'll think find that a profit so the margin in my entire well, Maybe. I, I certainly don't know, you know about hair salons in okay. Fort Worth. But I do believe, to be honest with you, that if you have... What happened? Where did he, is that it? Oh, okay. I thought we had a little more there. Uh... Notice how Sanders has zero sympathy for the small business owner. He, I also think he doesn't understand how it works. That there are there's overhead costs, there's employee costs, you know, payroll costs, and people pay you money, and you got to make this all work, or else you got to close your doors and you're done. And no one, the government doesn't swoop in and save you. It's not how it happens for a small business owner. You're out there on your own. He has no sympathy for her at all. Why aren't you providing them with with health insurance? Um, probably because she can't afford to, Sanders. Probably because if she gave those employees health insurance, she would be operating at a loss and would have to close her doors. So, but he doesn't address the issue at all. And in fact, he turns it around on her and says, "Well, you have an unfair advantage over some other hair salon or hair care center or whatever it is that is providing insurance to its employees." Oh. Okay, so that's the way we're going to play this. She asked a very straightforward question, and he did not have an answer. 
look, this is all <laughs> we know what the problems are here. The fact that you have to have a job and you get insurance through your job is the root of the problem. Um, that's well, it's at the root of the problem. I should say it is the root of the problem. There's a tremendous amount of government regulation in the healthcare market as it is, but that you can't just go and buy insurance and read a straightforward policy and it says this is this is your policy. This is the sort of this is what's covered. This is what's not. You will pay X amount of dollars for this policy, and that you can't just do that is crazy. That's crazy. It's not that government bureaucrats should be deciding, making better decisions for your business, for you, and, and tinkering around the edges of what's included in packages and healthcare coverage and what's not. No, the, the reality should be that you can just buy health insurance to insure you against serious illness or uh, very expensive health situations. And everyone can be responsible for their own choices and decisions then. But you can't have that right now. You can't buy the plan you want. The plan has to be approved. Uh, they're talking about the individual market. Otherwise, you get whatever your company gives you. What if your company's healthcare plan kind of stinks? Plenty of companies did. When I was the NYPD, my healthcare was crap, absolute crap. And the federal government, the CIA, was great. And then when I finally left, there was a period where I had uh, NYPD civilian insurance, and it was practically no insurance. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Sean Davis, co-founder of The Federalist, joins us now. Sean, great to have you. Thanks for calling in. Always fun. Thank you, Buck. Uh, Let's start with the Elizabeth Warren situation. This has gotten the left all kinds of fired up. Let's hear it from her. She called into Maddow because, you know, she had to run to a safe space. She called into Maddow to say that she was red carded in the Senate. Play the clip. I'm not allowed to speak so long as the topic is Senator Jeff Sessions. Wow. I've been red carded on Senator Sessions. Wow. I'm, I'm out of game on Senate floor. I don't get to speak at all. The fact that this has happened over the words of Coretta Scott King um, puts almost a surreal cast on this. It seems hard to believe that the Republicans would want to make a national issue, uh, create a political national crisis around this nomination, specifically around the widow of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, Did you know that you would be treading into this territory where they might be gaveling you and sitting you down uh, when you chose to read this letter? Did you think it would be this controversial? No, I did not. But I will say this. Oh, no, good heavens. Everyone. Reads Coretta Scott King's letter. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Sean, what's real, what's not here? Well, she really went on the warpath there, didn't she? I mean, she had no reservations about just going nuts there. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, she's going to sit there and have a powwow with Rachel Maddow, and they're just having a a cry session over it. I mean, yeah, she, she really put out the smoke signals there. And so the fascinating thing to me, is that there is longstanding Senate rule and president against impugning the integrity or character of a senator on the Senate floor. It's in Rule 19. It is abundantly clear. Um, And it includes uh, assassinating someone's character uh, by reading stuff other people wrote. She tried to basically launder these 30-year-old 
uh, smears against Sessions by saying, oh, no, I didn't do it. This other person uh, said that. So, you know, I'm not really responsible. This is outrageous. But th- there's really no functional difference between, between what she did and going and just printing out the comment section from YouTube or Daily Coast or uh, Breitbart or anything. And uh, you, you've seen the stuff that gets posted there and going on the floor and saying, well, so-and-so senator is a such-and-such-and-such-and-such. Uh, and those aren't my words. Those are, those are the words of uh, this particular person. That you cannot have good faith debate in the Senate without basic decorum. And she willfully and knowingly and intentionally violated the rules of decorum. And that's why she was rebuked. And that's why she's no, lo- no longer allowed to speak on the floor in session. She forfeited her right to do that by violating the rules. It's pretty amazing to see CNN this morning. I should see if it's still up. Main story on their webs on CNN.com. Nevertheless, she persisted. I mean, they, they're just the GOP effort to silence Warren just amplified her message. Uh, they're trying to turn her into some kind of a, like I don't know, free speech martyr here. I don't know what they think she's doing. Yeah, and it's um, it, it's interesting. Having worked in the Senate, uh, stuff plays there a lot differently, especially when it comes to attacks like this, than it might in the uh, comment section of Daily Coast. Um Senators take the decorum pretty seriously. They, they're they happy to have pointed debate, you know, pointed argument. But when you go on to the Senate floor, which is sacred ground, and begin to launder and recirculate really vile, you know, decades-old smears against someone just for a short-term political benefit, it, it doesn't play well. Um, it, it, is, it is no surprise that uh, the Senate chose to rebuke her and remove her speaking privileges for what she did. And she did it on purpose. Um, th- this is clearly what she is. She, she is a, a demagogue of the highest order. Um, you know, she has a long career of not being uh, encumbered by facts or reality. And having realized that the Democrats were powerless to stop uh, Jeff Sessions as attorney general, they just decided to assassinate his character instead. It's the same thing they did to Betsy DeVos. They couldn't stop her, so they decided to ruin her. What did you think of the oral arguments last night, switching gears for a second here, uh, uh, over the Trump immigration ban? Where do you think this is going, and what do you think of the, 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 the meat, the substance of the arguments that were offered up by both sides? Oh, gosh. Um, it, it's, I'm no good at court prognostication. I have no expertise there. Um, I, I think the plain language of the executive order is plainly legal. Um, he, he is executing existing law. Um, he's enforcing existing law, which has been um, an existing authority, which has been delegated to him by Congress. I think he's clearly within his bounds. And I will say I'm extremely disturbed by um, attorneys and judges going outside the four corners of the actual uh, executive order and saying, oh, well, we need to take what Rudy Giuliani said about this. Interview. That was my next question for you. I, I didn't know this was a thing now that you can you can you can say whether a law is constitutional or not based on what somebody who has nothing to do with the law allegedly said at one point. in time. I mean, it's crazy to me. No, it's it's nuts. Like, uh, you know, Rudy can say whatever he wants. He, he has no um, what his thoughts have no bearing on the actual text of the order. I mean, we are supposed to be a, a nation of laws uh, where we have rule of law. And the only thing that should be adjudicated here is the exact text of the executive order. And, and this is what I keep trying to tell people. And they say, well, well Trump called it a Muslim man. Well, Trump said this. Well, Trump said that. I don't care what he said, because what he said is not the language of the order. Uh, he says lots of things, often contradictory, often in the same breath. 
my sole interest as someone who's trying to figure out if policy is good or bad or legal or not is in looking at the actual text of the law and the policy. Uh, I find it just baffling that attorneys and judges are, are going to uh, Fox News cable TV commentary um, to help them determine whether an executive order is legal or not. It, it's insane. And I have to say the Washington Post uh, from, was this from the morning today? or is this, Yeah, it was from yesterday in the afternoon. Tweeted out on, on the DeVos uh, confirmation. Speaking of just, wow, uh, she she she's a billionaire who said schools need guns to fight bears. Here's what you may not know about Betsy DeVos. They have turned her into a into a an object of of hate on the left, and it just goes to show that they can do this to essentially anybody, can't they? I mean, this is a, a wholly unobje- unobjectionable woman. And I mean, she didn't say that schools need guns to fight bears. That is wildly out of context. It's ridiculous. Um, but but it, I think it's helpful to point out what exactly they're doing with DeVos. They view Betsy DeVos as an existential threat to them. And by they, I mean teachers unions who view uh, schools not so much as a, a means to educate children, but as a way to provide jobs for uh, union members. So they see in DeVos a threat similar to what they saw in Scott Walker. Now, Scott Walker utterly neutered um, unions in Wisconsin by saying, you know what, we're not going to have laws anymore that force people to be in a union just to get a job. And Betsy DeVos has come out and said, you know what, children in failing uh, school districts uh, who don't have money to go anywhere else should not be sentenced to, to go to a bad school where they're not learning anything just because they have to be born there and their family happens to live there. So she supports school choice and, and says, you know what, children, poor children in bad districts shouldn't be sentenced to a lifetime of garbage education. And that is an existential threat to unions. They don't want children getting quality education so much as they want uh, teachers union members getting big government paychecks and government-funded pensions. That is entirely what this is about. It is about nothing else. It's not about bears or guns, or this or that. It is about whether poor kids in bad districts ought to be able to have the right to go to better schools. And the teacher unions say no, and Betsy DeVos says yes. That's the whole root of the disagreement here. Now, Sean, you're a guy who knows the workings of the Senate and Senate procedure very well. It seems to me that Mitch McConnell has been pretty good at holding the line here, and they're going to get through all of uh, Trump's cabinet nominees. Uh, They can, according to your piece here, confirm uh, Supreme Court nominee Gorsuch uh, without the nuclear option. Does McConnell deserve a little bit of a a little bit of a high five? I know for a lot of conservatives, he's a he's an object of I shouldn't say scorn, but heavy criticism. Uh, Seems like McConnell's getting it done so far. I will uh, admit up front, I'm not a personally a big fan of his. Um, I, I could I take issue with lots and lots of stuff he's done uh, during his term in, in Republican Senate leadership. But when it comes to handling these nominations, and especially the uh, the Supreme Court seat that was vacated by Scalia, by holding the line, refusing to fill it, and allowing the election to take place, um, I don't have an unkind or an untoward word. Uh, to say about him. It it took a lot of skill and a lot of uh, courage to do what he did with the Supreme Court, and it paid off. And as a result, we're actually going to have a conservative in there to replace Scalia, as opposed to having a liberal Merrick Garland. Um, So so as far as the way he has handled the Supreme Court so far and how he's handled uh, these nominations, I I think it's been superb. Um, He's got a lot more work to do. We've got to repeal Obamacare. Um, We've got to, to peel back the gigantic layer of regulations that Obama 
uh, put into place during uh, his eight years in the White House. And so I'd say Mitch McConnell's work it, it isn't over. It's just getting started. But he's had a good start so far. Anything else you're working on at the Federalist or you want to give us a heads up to keep an eye out for? Oh, goodness. I, I'd say keep an eye out on, on the Supreme Court nomination battle. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's going to be big and it's going to be we're going to have a big decision probably sooner rather than later on whether the Senate's going to kill the filibuster entirely. Um, so stay tuned for that. You, what do you, I mean, I, I'm asking you to make prognostications here. I know you just like to analyze and not try to predict the future, but is that is that a is that something you think could really happen? They might decide to just pull pull out the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees to the, the to go to the even higher nuclear option, so to speak. Oh, it's, it's absolutely on the table. Um, I, I think it's less likely on Gorsuch. Um, I, I tend to think that uh, red state Dems um, that are up in 2018 might not want to climb out on that limb uh, and, and filibuster and force a nuclear option on Gorsuch, especially since he's he's filling a conservative seat. I think they may uh, keep their powder dry for the next vacancy. Um, so I, I think it's a distinct possibility that Republicans get 60 votes for cloture on Gorsuch and the whole nuclear option thing is academic. But there will come a time during Trump's term, and it might be now, it might be later, where there will be serious, serious internal discussion among Republican senators whether they need to just destroy the filibuster altogether. And, and I hope for the good of America, for the good of the Senate and the good of uh, conservatism, uh, they preserve the filibuster because they don't need to get rid of it to confirm justices. Last last question for you, Sean. We'll let you go. I know you're a busy man. Uh, the Democrat strategy in the Senate against Gorsuch is going to be what? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's going to depend entirely on what those uh, handful of red state Dems up in 2018 want to do. Um, because the, the risk for Democrats here is they, I'm not sure they can afford to go nuclear on Gorsuch. Um, because they're going to lose, they're, they're going to absolutely lose Democrat votes. They're probably going to lose Manchin. Um, they could lose Tester, Heitkamp, McCaskill. They can't get too far out on a limb bashing him when they know uh, some of their most vulnerable members may well support him. Um, so I, I think you'll end up seeing from the leadership, from the more hardline people, uh, you know, their typical Sturm and Drang and uh, Parade of Horribles. But as a as a caucus, I I expect it to be a little more muted than what we've seen on Sessions and, and DeVos. Sean Davis is co-founder of The Federalist. Read his latest at thefederalist.com and follow him on Twitter at S-E-A-N-M-D-A-V, Sean M-D-A-V. Sean, our buddy, thank you for calling in, man. We'll have you, uh, have you back soon. Thanks for having me, Buck. Have a good day. You too. Team, phone lines open, 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. So, team, I knew that Gavin McInnes, uh, whom I've done Red Eye with before and, and is a, a very, very nice, very, very smart guy. Um, I knew that he had had some trouble at, at NYU when he went to give a speech. I, I had seen vi- a video and I, w- I was going to play it on air here, except there were so much profanity that it would have just been beep, 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 beep. I mean, it's just this NYU professor yelling and completely freaking out over uh, Gavin McInnes coming to speak there. 
and they were calling him a Nazi and saying, Trump, go away, uh, as though he's like a member of the Trump administration, which he's not. Well, Gavin knows that he says things that are going to rile up the left. He says things that the left would consider controversial. Um, and sometimes he really he really nails it. I, mean, I have to say, if you haven't, uh, I think he has a show on the rebel.tv uh, and, and sometimes he really uh, gets it gets it going. But I I didn't know that he was uh, trying to speak at NYU and someone bear maced him. Someone actually from the crowd snuck up. I just saw this this video uh, where he's doing an interview and someone snuck up from the crowd and sprayed a chemical right in his face. You know, I, I have to say and he, he points this out in, his, in this interview I see. And I'm going to ask him to come on the show tonight to talk about this. You think about that for a second. I mean, you're going to give a speech at a college. You're just going to share ideas. You're not hurting anyone. You're not threatening anyone. You're just, you should be welcome at the college community, you would think. And someone sprays something in your face that causes you intense physical pain and burning. Uh, you know, he said, you don't know if right away well, what this chemical is. You don't know if you're going to go blind. You don't know if someone sprayed acid in your face. You you don't know what's happening. All you know is you've been you've been sprayed with mace by someone for not you're not doing anything. And this is at NYU. This is a a a couple minute walk from where I live. I I live right near NYU, and that this sort of thing happens, and gets such such little media cover. Could you imagine for one second if I don't know pick an MSNBC host you know pick someone on the left went to give a speech at uh, Hillsdale at a conservative college and students with masks on all dressed in black maced that speaker it would be a national news story uh, that that this didn't get any uh, coverage really at all is is astonishing even given the biases we know exist with the left I mean this is just crazy so we'll see if we can get Gavin on tonight and tell us about what happened at NYU but this was just bonkers um all right, team, we've got a lot coming up second hour, some fantastic guests. Stay with me. Back in just a few minutes. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.